Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Heads up, everyone. In case you missed it the last couple of weeks, I've rolled out a new feature on Unconfirmed, a weekly news recap. This summer, I conducted a survey to find out what you listeners wanted, and a number of you said you'd be interested in a weekly news recap on the show. I've now added a few minutes onto every episode of Unconfirmed where I go over the big news stories that week. So today, after I close out with my guest, be sure to stick around for My Week in Crypto. Now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names of crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. Crypto.com. Get their app and buy crypto at true cost. Get a metal MCO Visa card with up to 5% back on all your spending. Download the Crypto.com app today. For a lot of crypto fans, it's hard to find one place where you can trade, plan, and discuss crypto strategy. Get started with eToro and the world's number one social trading platform. Today's guest is Jonathan Levin, co-founder and chief strategy officer of Chainalysis. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for having me back, Laura. On Wednesday, you tweeted, today is my proudest day at Chainalysis. What news did you share that day? So on Wednesday this week, the uh, Department of Justice unsealed a uh, indictment against the founder and operator of a website called Welcome to Video, which was one of the largest child pornography websites in the world. Uh, and they unsealed indictments against a lot of the operators uh, or users of the platform and a civil forfeiture against the proceeds from that activity that they're going to then redistribute to the victims. Uh, and really, they thanked us for our role in that case uh, of helping them follow the money and make those arrests and also actually rescue 23 children. Yeah. And just so people understand the scope of this investigation, welcome to video, as Jonathan said, was the largest ever child porn site. And they arrested uh, 337 site users across 38 countries. So uh, it's, you know, quite a big operation dealing with a lot of jurisdictions. So Jonathan, tell us more about Welcome to Video and how it worked. So Welcome to Video was a site that was actually operating on Tor, which is uh, an onion browser, which anonymizes both the users and the site's IP addresses. So it's similar to like anonymous browsing. Uh, and the site offered a way for users to actually purchase access to videos that were hosted by the site. 
so that they could um, download them onto their uh, computers and, and watch them. Uh, it also provided a way for people who wanted to contribute uh, child abuse material videos onto the website so that they could um, they could monetize that content. And when you say that a part of that was uh, using Bitcoin, so how was Bitcoin used on the site? So Bitcoin was the only method of payment on the website. So uh, an individual could go and actually top up and buy credits to download videos on Welcome to Video and uh, would also get distributed payment from the website in Bitcoin uh, if they are creators or uploaders of that content. And so at the time of, I guess at the time that they arrested the administrator, Welcome Video had at that time set up 1.3 million Bitcoin addresses. So why were there so many? Because I don't think there were that many users, or maybe I'm wrong. So that is really the upper bound on the amount of users on the website because the um, the site would generate Bitcoin addresses for uh, users when they when they logged into the site, and and therefore you know, some of those Bitcoin addresses may never have been used, and so you know that's really an upper bound. But um, you can see that the site was being used frequently, and that the wallet was very active. And so, how did the government use the chain analysis tools in their investigation? So what Chainalysis provides is investigation software for law enforcement to really be able to leverage blockchain analysis and follow the money in these investigations. And, you know, it's really through the cooperation between the international law enforcement agencies that are all able to look at the same transactions and say, where the proceeds of these funds were being cashed out or where people who were using the site were sourcing their Bitcoins from. And law enforcement can identify those places and serve legal process in each of the jurisdictions to get information about you know, really who are the customers uh, who are the people behind those transactions? And so they were able to identify both the administrator of the site and a lot of the users of that. And they, they unsealed the claims uh, or arrests and prosecution of many of the users of the site in the, in the press release. And so. As far as I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the reason that Bitcoin transactions had to be used to determine the various users because the website was using Tor, and so law enforcement didn't have the normal breadcrumbs available to determine who uh, these people were that were using the site? I think that the, the accurate... Well, one, one interpretation could be that I think in general... It is the case, though, that law enforcement uses whatever tools at their disposal to be able to go after this type of crime. And more and more, um, you see government agencies getting better at leveraging blockchain analysis 
to be able to actually use that as a starting point in, in investigations and build bigger cases as a result of it. And the IRS criminal investigations division from the United States doesn't investigate this type of crime, but goes after the money laundering aspects of any form of criminal activity and are, as sort of Don for the, the head of IRS criminal investigation said, the experts in, in follow the money and they, they will leverage this type of analysis to be able to prosecute all types of crime. So whether there are breadcrumbs being left through cyber investigations, you know, cryptocurrency has also become a tool in the toolkit of law enforcement. And so you know, this is a good example of where blockchain analysis really did, did help build out this investigation. And your blog post had a, an interesting graphic where there were kind of like these circles representing different entities and then lines between them. So what did that show exactly? So what it showed was that Welcome to Video had its own its own wallet. And really what Chainalysis does is it enables us to look at the Bitcoin transactions that have happened in the past and associate which transactions have been done by the same entity. And in this in this case, an entity refers to a service like Welcome to Video or like BTCE or Alphabet Market or Bitcoin, um, another or Bitcoin Fog, a mixing service, for example. Uh, and what it does is we're able to say, you know, which transactions has that service um, been doing? And we are able to attribute those services to real world names. So we're able to say, you know, here are all of the transactions that Welcome to Video has been involved in. And then what our, gra- what our graphic shows is, what are the services that have directly interacted with Welcome to Video? So many of those exchanges that you see on that, on that graphic actually helped law enforcement identify the actual users of their, um, of their platform that were sending or receiving money to Welcome to Video. And so, you know, in a typical workflow, a law enforcement agent would be able to identify what are the transactions of interest that they should ask an exchange about to then where the exchange has the KYC information about those users and law enforcement can then request that information and continue to build on their investigation. All right, we're going to discuss more about these Bitcoin exchanges first in a moment, but first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. eToro gives you access to the most popular crypto assets on the market, and its virtual trading and discussion features let you discuss and test trading strategies with a community of over 11 million other traders. And headline news, they have officially launched in the USA. eToro offers the smartest trading tools and the ability to connect with the best traders around the world. Their trading fees are transparent and exceedingly low too, and it's available in one easy-to-use app. Get started at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O.com and build your crypto portfolio the smart way today. 
Crypto.com, have you seen the MCO Visa card? A metal card loaded with perks with up to 5% back and unlimited airport lounge access. They pay for your Spotify and Netflix too. What's not to love? With Crypto.com, not only can you spend your crypto, but you can grow it too. Earn up to 6% per year on the most popular coins, like BTC, XRP, LTC, and up to 12% per year on stable coins. Join the over 1 million others and download the Crypto.com app today. Back to my conversation with Jonathan Levin. So in this case, it sounds like, you know, you're working with the exchanges to identify these users, but I imagine you need to gather some evidence before you go to them. So how do you do that part? And then when you go to them, what do you ask for? So just to make it clear, the people who go to the exchanges are the law enforcement agents who are, have the authorities to uh, actually make formal legal requests to these exchanges and ask them for uh, information about specific transactions. And so really what's happening is that law enforcement are using Chainalysis as the map that helps them find. So they know that this activity in the welcome to video wallet is associated with illicit activity related to child pornography. They then find direct financial transactions that come from that activity to a cryptocurrency exchange or from a cryptocurrency exchange and are able with probable cause to request information from those exchanges about who are the users that are responsible for the transactions to or from those services to welcome to video. I see. And I guess it's one of those things where probably the exchanges wouldn't have known that those transactions were involving this site until after law enforcement came to them. Um, one thing that I was also curious, or, or am I wrong about that? Actually, what we provide as chain analysis is the ability for exchanges to proactively identify this type of activity and report it to law enforcement. So we um, support the Internet Watch Foundation, which is a nonprofit based out of the UK that monitors for child abuse material online. And they provide us with cryptocurrency addresses that they know to be associated with the distribution of child abuse material. And we provide that information to exchanges when they might be receiving or sending money to those wallets. And they can then proactively report that activity to law enforcement as suspicious activity, which can then spark the beginning of these types of investigations. Oh, great. Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess for crypto exchanges that are listening, um, this might uh, <laughs> might be a good thing. Um, one thing that I was curious about is based on the screenshots that they released, and uh, you know, I don't I don't know if I, if I'm reading the screenshot correctly, but it appears to be a screenshot from 2015. Welcome to Video recommended specific Bitcoin exchanges, and it listed them. I'm just going to name them all here. BTCE, OKCoin, Bitstamp, Huobi, BTC China, Bithum, CEX, Coinbase, Ipbit, Bitfinex, Blockchain. 
Is there anything to read into this list of recommended sites? Because to my mind, it sort of mixes ones that are known for compliance as well as ones that are not known for compliance. Yeah, so I, I think there's not much to read into it. We we see that typically these sites are recommending things that are convenient for people and they might be serving different parts of the customer base. So, you know, there were, as was sort of shown in the press release, you know, there were users all over the world and arrests were made in 38 different countries. And so the while the administrator was in South Korea, um, clearly this is marketing at people who, you know, criminals who are interested in this material all over the world. Yeah, and actually, so to this point about how some of these exchanges were pretty compliant ones, and some of them were known for not being compliant. Is that why in one of the unsealed documents, they list uh, these different accounts at specific exchanges? They, they don't identify the exchanges. Um, and they kind of walk through some of the transactions that had to do with Welcome Video. But they only actually named three exchanges, or, or not not name, but they, they just call them Exchange 1, 2, and 3. But then I just wondered, does that mean that like users were not able to use the other exchanges because of some of these controls that you were talking about? I think that in general, when it comes to these types of documents, they're not necessarily complete. So there might be more exchanges that, that were used and were you know, relevant. So I don't think there's too much to read into uh, the fact that only three exchanges were kind of labeled in the in the indictment. All right. Well, you also wrote that the site received nearly $353,000 worth of Bitcoin across thousands of individual transactions, but I it wasn't clear is that at today's prices? So those were prices at the time of transaction. So we looked at that as the um the Bitcoin, we like when, particularly when we're investigating uh, or looking, when people are looking at transactions to buy uh, materials, I think it's good to look at it in dollar pricing because a lot of the time goods can be priced in sort of fiat currency rather than in, in pure Bitcoin. Oh, okay. Okay. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to say that makes me feel better that it's based on prices at the time, because obviously if there had been payments made in 2015 that were worth $200 uh, or per Bitcoin, and then now that's worth 8000 then obviously you would expect this number to be a lot bigger. But hopefully this means that they didn't profit too much from, from this activity. Um, so one thing I was wondering about is also, would your investigation have been possible if the site had used Monero or Zcash or a different privacy coin or even the Lightning Network? So I think that the the type of graphic that we put up that shows these direct transactions to to the site and really the identification of you know all of the addresses that, that belong to the site do depend on there being a level of transparency into the underlying blockchain. And so you know, yes, any form of privacy enhancing um, technology would have made this investigation more difficult. Okay. 
Well, we'll see how uh, these types of investigations go in the future then as these privacy technologies become more advanced. Are, are you, is Chainalysis working on any tools that would enable you to do investigations on crimes that used any of these privacy technologies? Yes. So um, we announced recently that we will be supporting um, Zcash uh, and Dash on their transparent transactions, which might have been helpful in this in this particular instance um so we are we are making steps towards helping uh, both exchanges and law enforcement uh, manage the risk uh, even in those domains it's still early in the process of how collectively law enforcement and industry can work together to prevent crime in those domains all right. One last question, which is I did see that Joe Weisenthal of Bloomberg had tweeted, or actually he wrote about this uh, for, for Bloomberg, where he talked about how basically there's two kinds of people who use Bitcoin. One is speculators, and then the other is these transactors. And he said that transactors generally want to buy things that law, that law enforcement doesn't want them to buy. And that made him wonder if like it was, if it made sense for Wall Street and other investors to be purchasing Bitcoin if it's if the main use of it really is for illicit transactions. Do you agree with that? So I think that there are many other use cases that, that go between speculation and the the use of cryptocurrency for illicit purposes. And you know, particularly there are um you know there are also a lot of transactions that exist in a in a much more gray area that is not illegal or um you know it doesn't it doesn't actually um you know get the attention of law enforcement the same way that child abuse material does and so i think that the speculation behind cryptocurrency is about a movement of people to create more ways for people to transact globally and that can mean being able to buy you know, gray goods. Um, it can also mean to be able to transact more efficiently for digital goods that do get sold and bought. And it could be to transact in cross-border in ways that weren't actually thought possible beforehand. So I think that there are the speculation and the investment from Wall Street is around the real value of cryptocurrencies being the expansion of ways that people can transact in general. And yes, some of those may be for illicit purposes, but the investment in the technology to expand those possibilities is definitely something that continues to perk the interests of investors. And I think that really it's about, and our mission at Chain Analysis is, you know, to help continuing to expand the number of ways that people can transact globally. And that for us means initially working on making sure that industry and governments can work together to get rid of these types of actors that do actually abuse those new ways to transact. Great. Well, congratulations again on some fantastic work that is obviously having a really, really important and meaningful impact in the world. Thanks so much, Laura. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. 
All right. So don't forget, guys, next up is the news recap. Stick around for this week's news in crypto after this short break. Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government-backed stablecoins become the new fiat? Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. Privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the privacy-enhanced compliance initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. www.cyphertrace.com slash keep crypto clean. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. There was a ton of activity in the race to create a global coin from all kinds of actors in this space. As a Bloomberg article put it, quote, when finance ministers and central bankers come to Washington this week, the International Monetary Fund has a message for them. Digital currencies are on your doorstep. Get involved. The FT has a story on where it all went wrong for Facebook's Libra. The story details why some players dropped out, plus features a great Libra video explainer by reporter Jemima Kelly at the end. But the departure of some members has not stopped Facebook. Libra formally signed the Libra Association Charter this week, making the 21 existing signers the initial members of the Libra Council. Meanwhile, China is racing ahead on its digital currency. RBC analysts Mark Mahaney and Zachary Schwartzman said in a research note Tuesday, quote, if U.S. regulators ultimately dismiss Libra and decide not to draft regulation to encourage crypto innovation in the U.S., China's central bank digital currency may be strategically positioned to become the de facto global digital currency in emerging economies, largely through Alipay, WeChat, UnionPay, and other messaging and payment apps. But it does not look like the U.S. is entirely asleep at the wheel. A Fed official did say that the central bank is actively debating a digital dollar. And former CFTC chair Christopher Giancarlo wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal advocating that the U.S. create a blockchain-based digital dollar. Plus, the IRS released a draft of the new 1040 Schedule 1, which has this question. At any time during 2019, did you receive, sell, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire any financial interest in any virtual currency? You should definitely check out my past episodes on crypto and taxes. So not all forces are pushing forward in this race um, in the crypto space. There are two senators who sent letters to some of the payment companies that had initially signed on to be members of the Libra Association. And the letters basically threatened them, uh, saying that they would get greater scrutiny over their existing businesses if they stayed in the Libra Association. And also, the SEC filed a restraining order against messaging app Telegram for its not-yet-launched cryptocurrency. Avichal Garg of Electric Capital did a great TLDR on the SEC's filing against Telegram. As he puts it, quote, The SEC went to town on the assertion that Telegram actually raised money to benefit Telegram Messenger. Telegram controls the TUN Foundation, and the only people building TUN are Telegram employees. Thus, it is a common enterprise and profits are driven by efforts of others. Listeners, hopefully you recognize that these last two points are are two of the prongs of the Howey test. 
He goes on to say, quote, some some issues that SEC highlights that other projects will try to avoid in the future. A, don't have the company and foundation controlled by the same people. B, don't use funds to finance an existing company. C, don't have only company employees committing code. Next up, Binance crosses $1 billion in profit. The most popular crypto exchange has its second highest quarterly profit ever. Larry Cermak of the block notes that this is despite trading volume being down, which indicates that Binance is successfully diversifying its revenue. Next story, for those of you looking for more details on the upcoming launch of Multicollateral DAI, Cyrus Unessi of MakerDAO had a brief tweet storm on this. He doesn't give a ton of detail, but in particular, it looks like governance and security are going to be big focus areas, so it's not just about bringing in different types of collateral. Next story, addresses containing 1,000 BTC are growing at a rate not yet not seen since the early years of Bitcoin. Willie Wu posted a fascinating chart showing that the growth in the number of Bitcoin addresses with at least 1,000 BTC now matches what it was in the early years of the network. As he says, quote, In the early years, gaining 1,000 BTC was a matter of being an uber geek, knowing how to mine it, and some investment in hardware and electricity. In 2019, 1,000 BTC means an investment of $10 million. In my opinion, this is Willie's opinion, we're likely in a new renaissance of Bitcoin, this one powered by capital influx of high net worth investors, while the early one was from the tech savvy who were bootstrapping the network. Super bullish. Similarly, my crypto noted that the amount of ETH locked into DeFi has hit 3 million ETH. Despite all these milestones, there are still a number of questions that remain in crypto, and Ali Yaya of A16Z wrote up a great distillation of what he says are the 12 questions that really remain to be answered in crypto. Some examples are when and where decentralization matters most, how many networks will dominate, whether it'll just be one or many, and where value will be captured. I definitely urge you to check out that post. And last but not least, this week's fun bits is Coin Jazeera's write-up on DEFCON 5. The headline is, Massive Hurricane Hits DEFCON 5 As God Attempts to Rid the World of Ethereum Community. My favorite part of this article is definitely the part where they referenced how the dinosaurs died. Quote, the only thing preventing God from going biblical on Japan and sending a meteor to scorch the earth was Coindesk reporter Lee Quinn's con- controversial article calling Ethereum a scam, pissing off every bag holder at DevCon. This amused God enough to not send us all the way of the dinosaurs. That's it for this week's news. To learn more about the topics that Jonathan and I discussed, as well as the stories from this week's news recap, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Fractal Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and Josh Durham. Thanks for listening.